Would you pray with me as I pray? So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that we just heard, spoken, and sung, and shared. That when the lawyer came and tried to argue his case before your son, Jesus Christ, and said, what is the greatest commandment? He made it clear. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is because you are telling an amazing love story. Not because you needed to, but because it is who you are. You are a God who loves deeply. And we need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ for proof of that love. You did what none of us would do and what none of us could do because you chose to. As we continue to worship you in your word right now, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your law. I pray that you would protect the mouth of the speaker and guard the ear of the hearer, that we would hear nothing that is not of your spirit, and that our hearts would be softened and receptive to a message of abiding love. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning and Merry Christmas. We're in week two of the Advent season, in case you haven't figured it out. And we're calling this series, Behold the Lamb. And it comes from the scene where Jesus starts his public ministry. And John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Christ, points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as I mentioned last week, that that what's interesting is that for centuries, literally for centuries, God's people had been bringing their lambs to the altar for just ongoing forgiveness. And now here is this lamb who who was born in Bethlehem, just like the sacrificial lambs were born. That's why there were shepherds outside of Bethlehem on the the night that he came into the world, because that's where they would raise the, the sheep to take to Jerusalem, seven miles away, to be slaughtered for sacrifice. Here comes the perfect Lamb of God, born in Bethlehem, and they missed it. And so do we. We get so busy in religious activity and and the events of the season and the shopping and and the good and the bad and everything else that that we miss it. In a season that is just so, it it seems like, maybe it's just me and and the season that our family is in because our kids are older now, but it, it just seems like it's getting harder and harder to keep Christ in Christmas. Like just, and I don't mean in some like outwardly way even, I mean just even in my heart, in our hearts, like to really take the time to focus. It's just like busyness has increased. Stress has increased. Distraction has increased. And it's all because the enemy is on the prowl and he's really good at what he does. And so what we endeavor to to do this season as a church is to just come together because as we're going to see even next week, we need each other to just remind ourselves that, man, it's, it's important for us to stop and slow down. Not just because Christmas is coming, but because it's a great time to, to remember all that he's done for us, but also to, to build some disciplines in our life and spiritual disciplines in our family's life that will help us through the coming year as well. 
Because the truth is, he is coming again. In Revelation 22, that lamb says, Behold, I am coming quickly. That means when he comes, it's going to be like that. That's what he means. And he says, And my reward is coming with me. So we need to make the most of the time because the days are evil. Last week we looked at a lamb that makes peace. And I asked the question, how do we find peace? And we realized that it has to start with God, that it takes trust in God, that it's an act of God, and that it's the very presence of God in our lives that brings peace. This week, we're looking at, behold, the lamb who shows love. And, and as I mentioned last week, we don't just teach a topic. I didn't look at my concordance and go, where are all the verses that have to do with love? But we teach a text here at Cornerstone and let God's word speak to us through the message he has outlined. So just like last week we were in Romans 5, this week we're going to be back in Romans. It's in Romans 8, 31 through 39. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will put one in it. Keep it. If you don't have one of your own, we'd love to give it to you as a gift. We believe God's word is what changes lives. So we're going to look at, behold, a lamb who shows love. And I'm going to ask a question simple and similar to last week's. How do we love well? Last week was, how do we find peace? This week is, how do we love well? And let's look at our first point that Paul makes. Love holds nothing back. Look at the first two verses, 31 and 32. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? My guys, we, we kind of have to stop. Even though we're teaching through a text, I took this text out of a, of a bigger picture, out of a bigger passage. So when, when we see something like, so what shall we say of these things? We ought to ask the question, what things is he talking about? What should we, if we're going to say something about these things, we ought to know what these things are. What are these things? Well, the things are the things he just talked about right before he says these things. Now, here's the thing. We love... Romans 28, right? That God works all things together for good for those who are called, for those he loves, those who are called according to his purpose. We love that verse right before the verses we just read. We also really like the second half of verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? So God works all things together for good, and if he's for us, nothing can be against us. We gotta, but, but Paul is saying that it's because of these things that that's true. So what are these things? Well, these things are verses 29 and 30. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn of many brethren. For those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Guys, verses 28 and 31 can only be true if our God is the God of verses 29 and 30. Verses 28 and 31 can only be true if our God is the God of verses 29 and 30. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Guys, we should take great comfort in that. 
What does that have to do with love? Here's what it has to do with love. God knew you before you were you. God, when it says foreknew, it doesn't mean he looked ahead in time and went, man, that, that Chad Ryan is a really sweet dude. I think I love him. No. It means I knew Chad Ryan before Chad Ryan knew there was a Chad Ryan. And in my sovereign saving grace, I just went, that one's mine. Just like in Isaiah 43 that Gary read to us earlier today. And because he foreknew us and knew you before you were you, he will finish you in glory. Do you get what I'm, what, what, what I'm not saying? It, the word is saying it right there. What starts with foreknew ends in glory. Whose glory? Ultimately God's, but specifically in this case, whose glory? Yours, mine, ours. That's love. That's just complete, unconditional, no, no strings attached love. Why? Because you and I had nothing to do with it. Now, what does that have to do with holding nothing back? Well, if you look, it says in verse the first half of 31 is, is really is, is him just saying, so, so what are we going to say about these things? He's sort of setting it up to this answer. And, and, and then he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That word, if there in the Greek, is, could be and is often translated since. It has the sense of since. Not if, like, well, like, like maybe. There's, there's kind of two ways we use the word if. Right? One is like, well, well maybe if. And the other one is since. Right? If you love me, you will. Like, since you love me, you will. He's saying, since God is for us, who can be against us? And then the, second, the, the rest of verse 32 is, is, him, is Paul sort of proving the point. He says, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for, uh, for us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Guys, he's saying, he's saying God proved his love for us by offering his son a ransom for us. It's like, it's like saying, it's saying, if God is for us, since God is for us, who can be against us? And let me prove it to you, the cross of Jesus Christ. We need look, no, look, look no further than the cross to prove God loves you. He doesn't sort of love you. The cross is God's proof that he is all in for you. The, the cross is God's proof that he's... You don't get any more all... I'm not a gambler. Not for any weird moral reason or not. Just I don't, I don't know how, and, and it's just not a thing I do. But the, the, there's a phrase of all in, right? Like where you push all your chips into the middle of the table. God is all in for you. His chip just looks like a big giant cross. And guys, the jackpot is awesome. Guys, think, think about this. Th just think about, think about God's unending story, and we're going to look at it in better detail next week. God's, are not, God's not unchanging story. It does end. It ends in rest restoration. But th just think about it for a minute. A baby born in a manger, born, came into the world knowing the cross was inevitable if redemption was going to happen. He didn't save you just to abandon you. 
He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go to the cross just to sort of love us. The reality is the cross proves not only that he loves us, but the extent to which that love is accomplished in and through us. It is once for all permanent. Right? He is all in on the cross. So today's question, how do we love well? How do we love well? Well, we love one, we hold nothing back. The cross is proof that God held nothing back. The second is, love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong. That may sound familiar to you because it does come out of Paul's, one of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But if we look at the next few verses that Paul's going to talk about here in Romans, look at what he says. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather... He who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Guys, Paul asks three questions as if to expand on his point of the depth of God's love for us. He asks the question in verse 33, who will bring a charge? In verse 34, he asks, who's going to condemn us? And in verse 35, he says, and who's going to separate us from the love of God? So I'm going to look at those three things quickly. The first is, who will bring a charge? Here's the answer, Satan. Who will bring a charge? The answer is Satan. Revelation 12 says this, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers, that's Satan, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But get this, how does Paul answer the question in the second half of verse 33? He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Earlier in Romans, in Romans 3.26, he says, God is both just, God is a just judge. He, we, we talk about this a lot here at Cornerstone. He has to deal with sin. One of the things that people push back against in Christianity is what is all this judgment about God? And yet those people, like any people, would be the first people to say, but, but evil needs to be dealt with. Wrong needs to be dealt with. And all you'd have to do is look at a real-world scenario of sitting in front of a judge. When one of your children has been has been grotesquely abused and have that judge go, yeah, I understand that that man is guilty, but you know what? I'm going to show him some grace. Is that judge just? No. We want our judges to be just. But here's the beauty of God. He is not just just, Romans 3.26 says, he is also the justifier. He is the one who says, yes, I, I have to punish sin but I'll take it. I'll be the one who justifies. We have peace with God, is what we looked at last week, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is both just and justifier. Satan will stand before, stand, stands before God, and he accuses over and over and over. 
So that brings Paul to the next question in verse 34. So who's going to condemn us? If, if God is the one who justifies, then who can condemn us? But he answers the question at the second half of the verse. He says, Christ Jesus is he who died. So who's gonna, who's gonna, who can condemn the one Christ died for? Well, we know in the beginning of chapter 8, if you look at the beginning of chapter 8, what does the, what the, the chapter 8 verse 1 say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul, Paul's asking a question he knows the answer to. In verse 1 of chapter 8, he says there's no condemnation. So now he's reminding us. So who's going to condemn us? If Christ died for us, who's going to condemn us? Christ is our advocate. And a few weeks ago, I was teaching on this concept of advocacy and an advocate. And an advocate would be like an attorney. Right? Like if, if you're in the process of adopting or foster care, your child, that, that child has an advocate that stands between you and the judge to sort of pl- argue the case. The thing is, what the advocate will do is talk about, like my attorney will say, you know what, he, he's a good guy, he's, you know, I, th- he didn't really do this thing. He'll argue my case for me to help me look better. That's what an advocate looks like. That's not how Jesus is our advocate. It says that he is our advocate, but what he says is, yes, your honor, Doug is as, is as guilty as sin. Literally. See what I did there? Guilty as sin? Doug is guilty. I will pay the price. So what happens is, when Satan comes along and he says, I've got a ch- I'm, I'm the accuser of the brethren, I've got one against Doug. He hands it to Jesus, who says, paid it, what else you got? Well, here's another one. Here's another one. I, got th- I saw Doug do this yesterday. He says, okay, let me have that. Yes, yeah, see, I paid that one too. Okay, but wait a minute. You don't know what he's like with his wife and his daughters. That's a big one. Here you go. There's no getting past this. And Jesus is like, you know what? I paid that one too. What else you got? Because you can keep pulling them out and from now until eternity, and my cross covered it. Game over. That's what, that's what Paul's telling us here. He is at the right hand of God, and he what? Look at the very last words of, of verse 34. Intercedes on our behalf. He takes all of those accusations, all of those sins, all of those condemnations, and he destroys them at his cross. Remember that. Last part is, who, who would separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists these seven things. I'm not going to go into detail about them. All there are seven, he lists seven things in verse 35. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. It is just this, it is a picture of this pressing in on worse and worse circumstances. Tribulation, that word actually just means the pressures of life. Distress. Distress would be um, like, it has the concept in the Greek of being surrounded. So he's just saying, so, now, so you have the pressure of life, now you feel surrounded, persecuted, now you're being punished. Famine, now you're not, now not only are you locked up and, and punished, but they've stopped feeding you. Then he says, naked, they've stripped you bare, just like they did to Christ before they whipped him. Peril, impending death, is all that means. And the last one, the sword is execution. So all he's saying is, it's great, no matter how bad it gets, even to death, can that separate us from the love of God? It's why, in verse 40, it's why in verse 36 he quotes Psalm 44. And he says, For your sake we have been put to death all day long. 
we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Well, all he's saying in adding that is he's saying, guys, this has always been our story. This has been God's people's story from the beginning. We're just spoiled in America. You know where the fastest growing church in the world is? It used to be China. You know where it is now? Iran. 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 Iran, where you can get your, your, your hands cut off for having a Bible. That's where the gospel is going forward faster than any other place in the world. Why? Because, because, God, because God's people have always been persecuted, and it's not in spite of persecution. It is because of persecution that the gospel goes forward. Those people really believe it. So they really want to share it with other people, even in a place that will get them killed doing it. Guys, God's love is not proven by our circumstance. We have to, we have to understand that. God's, we, we, we use the word blessed as meaning good, as meaning materialistic things or health. Or, and so I must be doing good, and we see God that way. We see God, we say, well, when things are going well for me, God loves me. When things are going poorly, God's love must have stopped. And what Paul is telling us here is it doesn't have anything, he's proving to us, it has nothing to do with your circumstance. It can get harder and harder and harder to a point where you're, where you're starving and naked and, and, and fearing death, where death might even look like a better out. And God still loves you just as much as he does when you're driving your Lexus. Because right? that has nothing to do with his love. Your circumstance has nothing to do with his love. Guys, our assurance in our salvation is true because the cross happened. Because the cross is a historical fact. The assurance of your salvation is not based on what's going on in your life right now. The assurance of your salvation is based on the cross of Jesus Christ, period. We have got to get that. He was not born a baby in a manger, lived a man among filthy men, bled and died to maybe save you. He did it. If you believe in him, he did all of it. That's the Christmas story. He was born a baby to fully, unequivocally redeem his people. But here's our problem. We have this broken view of our relationship with God and his love because most of our relationships this way are broken. We have this idea that, I'll say that, so we have an idea that God's love is conditional because all of our human relationships are conditional. Right? It's, it's this, and so we have turned this brokenness into our view of this, which is supposed to be this perfect, holy love of God. And because, and I'll, and I'll elaborate on that in a, in a little bit, but this brokenness that we have in human relationships leads to our broken view of God and how he loves us. Great relationships have great faith. They're not based on feelings. Great relationships have great faith. They're not based on feelings. So here's a question. Can you rest in him in the midst of unrelenting pressure? Can you rest in him in the midst of unrelenting pressure? How about this one? Can you sing songs in the night when the night is dark and cold? Remember Peter and Paul? 
both supper times in prison. What are they doing? Praying, singing. When the jailer's about to kill them, don't kill yourself. That man just beat them. You think you have something against somebody. And what do they say? Don't do it. We're right here. No Jesus. And they share Christ with him. And he gets saved. He and his whole family. Can you sing songs in the night when the night is dark and cold? What if the dark has a name? What if the dark has the name your boss? A mean classmate? Your banker? Your spouse? Can you still say, you know what, I I know in the midst of this, you love me. So how do we love well? Hold nothing back. Keep no record of wrong. And then we see how love doesn't just make the best of it. Love makes the most of it. Love doesn't just make the best of the circumstances. It, it makes the most of it. Look at what Paul says. On the heels of listing all of these things that end in death, look at what he says in verse 37. But in, in, but in, but in, all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Some of your translations might say we are more than conquerors. It doesn't matter. That, that word in the Greek is actually the Greek word hypoacumen. And it, and it actually means to, to, it's in the present tense here, in, which means, it doesn't mean that we have conquered. It means that in the middle of all of these things, we are to keep on conquering to a greater and greater extent. Keep on going. He's saying we are, we are to keep on winning. And then he says, in all these things, that's who we are. Not in spite of these things, but in them, in the middle of them. Not once things get better. We're, we're now, oh, wait a minute. Now, we're, now, now that our circumstances are better, now we're conquerors. Now that our marriage is healed, we've conquered. Now that I've finally gotten victory over this besetting sin of mine, I am now a conqueror. He's saying, no, in the middle of all of that, you are conquerors. In God's eyes. Guys, get this. We are conquerors not because of our circumstance and not because we're not because our sin is up or down or we're, our obedience level is up or down. We are conquerors. He says it. We are conquerors. He doesn't say here, in all these things that we overwhelmingly conquer through your efforts or in your strength. Or by your obedience. What does he say? We are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ who loves us. Guys, understand this. God the Father let go of his Son one time. And he won't do it again. God the Father let go of his Son one time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he won't do it again. And because you are in him, he won't let go of you. 
I thought I'd get an amen there. I guess I'll say it myself. Amen. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. I mean, I get that I get to chew on that and think through that. And, but guys, if, if you're not sitting here right now with chills running up and down your spine about the depth and the beauty of God's love poured out on us through, the, through putting his son through hell, if, if, you're not, if you're not just overwhelmed with that right now, I would, I would beg you to make today and this season the season that you come alive in Jesus Christ because you're not alive. That's the truth. We should be overwhelmed with the depth of God's love for us. Great relationships are marked by faith, not feelings. Sadly, we have bought into this Disneyland romance view of what love looks like. And when I say we, I mean the church. Prosperity gospel, when I asked where's, where's the gospel going forward and somebody said Africa, that's because in Africa, what's happening in a lot of Africa is, I mean, a lot of people will say that's where it's going, fa- going forward the fastest It's because what they're preaching there is a prosperity gospel. They're preaching, come to Christ and good things are going to happen to you. That's just not biblical. So real biblical researchers that are researching where the gospel is going forward don't count that. Because they're saying, yeah, these people are professing faith in Christ, but they're professing faith in a wrong Christ. They're professing faith in a, in a if you give me one of your goats, you're going to get back three more, Christ. That's not it. As we have to come to grips with the truth that, that the, what the world has sold the church as love is not what love is. And I would beg us as a, as a people in Christ to cling to the truth that, we are, that our job as Christians is to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That is my, your, our spiritual service of worship. Romans 12, it's just a few more chapters up. And so he gets to the end of this whole argument and he says, therefore present your bodies. And, verse 2 of Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Don't buy in to this warm, fuzzy, love is an emotion thing. Yes, I am passionately in love with my wife after 22 years of marriage. More so now than I ever was. And yeah, I get warm and fuzzy over it. But that's not what my love for her is based on. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He's talking about this. This is where we see what love is. So, last point. How do we love well? We hold nothing back. We keep no record of wrong. We make the most of it. And then we see the sovereign... In all things. We see the sovereign in all things. And that's my last point. It's not my last point. It's actually Paul's last point. So thank you, Paul, for making a good point. Verse 38 and 39. He says, For I am convinced. Now, now, before before I keep going, this is not theory to Paul. A lot more bad things happen to Paul after he writes the letter to the Romans, but a lot of bad things have happened to Paul. 
I don't care what you have gone through in life, nothing is even a taste of what this man has been through. 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to read about it. Now get this. He says, I I am convinced. I know from personal experience, not just theory, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Guys, he's running through this list that all he's really doing here, kind of like the thing where where he was narrowing it to a point of, and and all of these bad things, even if they come to death, here's what he's saying here. He's taking his list and he's going, kaboom. He's basically, he's, he's describing the list that covers all of creation everywhere, all the time. How do I know that? Because he starts with death and life, our existence. From the time you're born to the time you're dead, that is not going to separate you from the love of God. Angels and demons is the next thing he lists. So he's saying in the spiritual world, there's nothing that can stop you, that can stop God from loving you. Satan can accuse you all he wants, but he cannot break the bond you have with God if you're really his. Then he goes on, present and future, all of time. So he's like, all of your life, all of the spiritual world, all of time. Then he goes on powers. Those could be demonic and worldly authorities, the things that we think have control over our lives. He's like, they don't have control over you. They can, the government can come and like they're doing in parts of the world and they can bust down your door and they can lock you up and they can threaten to kill you and your family and they cannot stop God from loving you. Height or depth, the extremes of all space. He's saying no matter how high you go, no matter how far down you go, God's love is there. And then he, and then he finishes it as, as if like to go, and in case I missed anything, or any other created thing out there, people, he's like, in case, in, case my, in case you didn't get where I'm going with this, when I say nothing, I mean not a thing. Anywhere, anytime, ever in your life. Guys, when he says nothing can separate you from the love of God, here's our big problem. And this is how I will begin to close. Our big problem is we think we can separate ourselves from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, including you. Including me. But that goes back to our broken relationship with him because we see it in this broken relationship with, with others. Guys, we see God, I mentioned last, we see God as this grand scorekeeper Right? Why? Because we are. Because I am. Because you are. How do we get victory over this thinking of when God does good, when I do good, God loves me, and when I do bad, God doesn't love me? Or at least he doesn't love me as much. How do we get rid of that wrong thinking? We have to first, we have to grab it as sinful because, and then we have to see where it's coming from. Here's where it's coming from, right here. Because every one of our earthly relationships are plagued with that. No matter, love is based on faith, not a feeling. But when I feel like Carrie isn't as loving to me, I can start to wonder, does she really love me anymore? When you feel like your friend is not as close to you as they used to be. I can start to wonder, but do they love me anymore? 
And the truth is we do, that to our, we do that to each other all the time. Guys, do not sit here today and go, oh yeah, the person next to me or my boss or my classmate or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my, or don't, don't, don't say they do that. You do that. I do that. We all do that. We all put, not all the time, but we all put conditions on love. We all do it. And because we do it to each other constantly, we believe God does too. And, and guys, Paul could not be more clear. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, For I do not nullify the grace of God, because if, if righteousness could come from the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's saying, if God's love for me could come from me doing good stuff so God will love me, then he died, then, then God put his son on the cross and he didn't need to. Well, what does that make God if that were true? God does not love you because he feels like it or because he has to. God loves you because he chooses to. And it has nothing to do with you or me. That's the beauty of it. And when I mean that literally. That's the beauty of it. God chose to love you. And his choosing love is unconditional and irrevocable. But because we are so performance-oriented in our relationships, we really struggle with seeing how our performance doesn't affect how God loves us. We have to get past that as people. And the only way I know to do that is to talk to him. Is to flood your mind and your heart with the truth of his word and to, and to talk to him. To confess your sins before him and have him say again and again and again, I got that covered, Doug. It's okay. In fact, not only have I got it covered, but I've completely forgot it even existed. And then go, wow. Wait a minute. There, there's, there's, no, there's no you're going to bring that back up when we start arguing again later? Right? But we all laugh. Why? Because that's why we struggle to believe that God does that. Because we don't do that to each other. We might, we might actually sit down and practice biblical forgiveness. Hon, will you please forgive me for being an idiot? We don't use that word, sorry. For being unloving to you. And we'll sit down, we'll have the conversation. And yet, there's still this emotion in her that maybe later when I do, some, when I do that thing again or do something similar to it again, all of that emotion gets brought to bear on that situation and you're like, whoa, wait a second. Why? Because we're fallen people. Guys, the reason God's love is so much grander and more beautiful and everything is because he's not like us in any way. That's why. We got, we, we have, if you get nothing else out of today, you have to stop seeing, we need to stop seeing God's love the way we see even healthy love in human relationship. He is super deity. He's not even superhuman. I'm going to finish with how the New Living Translation paraphrases the passage that we ended with. And Sean read it, and I think that was beautiful. And 
It says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of de- from, from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we're high above in the sky or deep in the ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Guys, God does not keep score. Praise God. And neither should we. So the question today was, how do we love well? How do we love well? The answer is, by knowing we are well loved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth conveyed there. I thank you for the truth that nothing can separate us from your love. That nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love because you are the God of all of creation. That nothing in our own heart can separate us from your love because you are the one who has changed our hearts. I thank you that this is love. Not that we love you, but that you first loved us. That when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you, because of your great love for us, made us alive. Paul tells us there are three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And then he tells us the greatest of these is love. And it is what you demonstrated by going to a cross to die our death that we might live your life. In Jesus' name, amen.